Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. Not only uh, no sacrifice remains, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which devour the adversaries. Oh man, when I read this, I'm God's adversary, he hates me, wants me. You know what, I was, I was so messed up, I was so tripped out about this whole thing back when I was 20 years old that I couldn't take a hot bath to remind me of hell. Put your foot in, oh, hell's gonna be worse. I mean, I was messed up, okay? So if you could be as messed up, I mean, you, you asked my wife what she watched me go through during that time, and, and she saw I was just, everything would just freak me out. I mean, hot, hot water. It's going to be, hell's going to be 200,000 times harder. Than so you know what? There's hope. Look at, look at what the Lord did. He, he brought me back to sanity, and I'm preaching the gospel. Praise the Lord. Redemption, okay? Now, something I want you to see in verse 27. It says it consumes, this judgment consumes Christians. It consumes all those who messed up. Is that what it's saying? It says this fiery judgment and indignation consumes the adversaries, the enemies of God. If you're not an enemy of God, well, then this isn't talking about you. I know people who have made themselves enemies of God and you watch their social media and everything they post is adversarial against God. And so if you're struggling with guilt and thinking, I've committed the unforgivable sin, but you're wanting to be forgiven, wanting God's mercy, hoping he'll forgive you, then, and you're not an adversary, okay? I want you to catch this here. Now, let's move on. Verse 28 says, now it's building the case of how bad the sin is that is being described here. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy and the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, so, and that was a matter of fact. You know, the law of Moses, and, and today you get off the hook in America, you know. Back in, in, in Moses' time, you commit murder, you will be put to death. You're breaking, you do capital crimes, there's capital punishment. Nowadays we think, well, he needs to be put on parole so we can go out and do it again. Yeah, we could talk about that some more, but we won't. Listen, this is, this is the matter of fact. But then it goes, if that's how strict the law of Moses was, how much, more, how much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has dot, dot, dot. Now we're going to talk about there's three things in this verse that I believe are a clear and concise definition of the unforgivable sin. But I want you to see here, it's not describing just any old sin. It's describing a willful attitude of going on in sin and rejecting the Savior. Uh, it's not just any old sinning on purpose. We've all sinned on purpose. Come on. Yeah, how many people sinned accidentally? I, I didn't mean to tell a lie. You just lied again, you know. 
it's talking about the sin of apostasy. Here, the writer of Hebrews, he's speaking of a severe sin that was really quite applicable to his Jewish Christian believers that he's writing to because they're being discouraged and trying, they're being told they need to go back to the old sacrificial system. They need to reject Christ and go back to their old customs and ceremonies and old ways and reject Christ. You know, in the, in the early church, there were born-again Jews and then there were the, the, the Jew, the Orthodox Jews who were totally against Christ. They thought he was, a, he was a false prophet and it was a cult, right? The first church was a cult in the Jewish eyes. So this, this is especially applying to those who are being tempted to go back to the Orthodox Judaism, rejecting Christ. It's a don't turn your back on Jesus. And in verse 29, where I'm going to spend a little bit more time in, three things that describe what I call the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Actually, Jesus called it. I didn't name it. But if you're taking notes, you might want to write down Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, and Mark chapter 3, verse 28 through 29. These are a few places where Jesus said that there is an unforgivable sin. Matter of fact, let me just give you a snippet of one of them. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus is speaking. He says, Therefore I say to you, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. To me, this is a goosebump verse. Like, whew. That, that's Jesus saying there's something that you don't know, there's no forgiveness. Matter of fact, if you look at the other text that says, neither in this life nor the life to come. There's no way out of this one. But I also want you to see, leave it up for a second, is uh, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Okay, there's a whole lot of other things that can be forgiven. We're talking about the one thing of, of um, turning away from Christ, of becoming a reprobate. That is, there's just no hope for the reprobate, okay? It's funny because people like to fixate on this one sin. It's like the old story I've heard. I've seen the illustration. You, you put a little black mark on a, on a clean white piece of paper and you hold it up and you say, what do you see? And everybody says, a black dot. But no, you see a white piece of paper that happens to have a black dot. We look at the dot. We look at the one small thing. And so what the devil wants to do is get you to look at this one little sin, this unforgivable sin. It must be me. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Serious stuff. But I want you to think about it. If, if the one unforgivable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, let's talk for a moment. What is the mission and purpose of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus? It, the, the, the Holy Spirit's whole mission on earth is to bring men to salvation through faith and repentance. To get you to have your faith in Christ and repent from your sin. It's the spirit of holiness, the spirit of truth. And so the, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit would be to work against his whole mission, his whole plan of bringing you to faith and repentance. To reject Christ, God's plan, it's spiritually fatal. So let's take a look now at the, the specific ingredients in this verse of what it looks like. Now, by the way, in verse 28, we're told the comparison. Um, you break the law of Moses, you're going to die. But how much more punishment, verse 29, do you suppose he's thought worthy who has, the first part is, trampled the Son of God underfoot. Okay, step one of the unforgivable sin. You've trampled the Son of God underfoot. Now, Jesus, this isn't just ignoring Jesus or turning away from Jesus or resisting, I think it might be true, but I don't want to accept Jesus yet. There's a bunch of sin I want to do first. 
trampling underfoot the Son of God, to me, it's a picture of Jesus is standing in front of you, showing his wounds, saying, I died for you. I shed my blood for you. And you knock him down and trample underfoot the Son of God. This is a severe and harsh picture of trampling Jesus, his grace, his love, his mercy. You're trampling him underfoot. This is serious, not just, well, I'm resisting. I don't want to become a Christian yet. You, you've all been at that spot. If, you've, if you came to Christ later in life, we've all had the struggle time of, no, I don't want to look at. This is knocking him down and trampling him underfoot. It's, it's, it's an insult and a disgrace to God. It's treating him shamefully in dishonor and defaming him. So the first step in the, in the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is to trample the Son of God underfoot. I told you it's all about Jesus, but so is the most serious sin all about Jesus. The second one in your fill-ins is this. They counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. That's in, that's in the middle of verse 29. And you, you count the blood as common. You know what it's saying? Yeah, Jesus died. Everyone dies. So what? It's belittling that holy, precious sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross for you. It's putting Jesus' death as no different than the death of any other man. Everyone dies. So what? His blood is no different than any other man. His blood is common. You're counting the blood of Jesus as common, but it wasn't. I think it was Acts 20, 28. It says that it was the actual blood of God being shed for you. Now, something else I want you to notice that a lot of people may not want to look at, but I can't see. It screams at me out of this verse. In verse 29, it says, the blood by which he was sanctified. This means this happens, this could happen to people who, was, who were sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and then they, they become reprobates. They turn away from the faith. And they count everything they once held precious as common. As a matter of fact, listen to how Peter puts it in First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter two, verse one. He's he's talking about false prophets, but they're these false prophets he's describing have done what I'm just telling you right now. He says, But there will also there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them and bringing on them swift destruction. So in the early church, and, and, and Peter's saying, it happened in, old, in times of old and it's happening now. There are teachers who once knew the truth and, and now they're, they've been deceived and now they're deceiving others and they're bringing others into their deception with them and they're, they're denying the Lord that bought them. So... Don't miss this. They're counting the blood of the covenant as a common thing. Jesus' blood was precious. How often do we, we pray about and, and claim the blood of Jesus over our lives because the blood of Jesus is precious and powerful enough to cleanse all sin. You count it as uncommon, or excuse me, as common and, and ordinary like any other man. You're throwing it all away, okay? Now, number three in your fill-in. The third step of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is kind of like redundant, but it says, but insulted the spirit of grace. That's what it says in verse 29 at the last part. It says, you've insulted 
the Spirit of grace. Let me read the whole thing in context. How much worse punishment do you suppose he will be thought worthy who has trampled, number one, trampled the Son of God underfoot, number two, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and number three, insulted the Spirit of grace, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Does that, the, the dots connect for you? Does, does it make sense? To me, it's very clear. So here's the, another thing. I'll say it again. If you're feel, fearful that you've committed the unforgivable sin, if this doesn't describe you, you ain't done it, okay? If, if you haven't, you know, trampled underfoot the Son of God, say, get out of my way, I'm stepping all over you, counting his blood like nothing and, and insulting the spirit of, of truth, well, then, this, then you haven't committed the unforgivable sin. It's important for you to know this because it's probably one of the most common lies that the devil throws on people, especially Christians. There's no hope for you. You've committed the unforgivable sin because you've sinned on purpose repeatedly for an extended period of time. Three strikes, you're out. Have you heard it? I'm just curious. How many people have ever had this lie, the devil tried to lie, whisper this in your ear? It's, look, it's funny. I see hands go up, but they're going up like this. <laughs> they're afraid you're going to ask them, what did you do? <laughs> but it, it, it's common the devil uses it, but we don't want to talk about it. But I want to talk about it because it's in the scriptures. It's almost devastated my life, and I want you to get it so you don't let the devil play this trick on you anymore. Okay, we've got a few more better verses to cover, but first, verse 30 says this. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Yes, the Lord, uh, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Don't miss that, word, that phrase in there, his people. The Lord deals with his people, I think, before he goes and judges the rest of the world, he deals with us first. I remember when I used to work in the trade, and I was, in the, I was a lithographer, worked in the print trade, and everything I did, I got in trouble for. I mean, I knew people were stealing from the company, or they'd be laughing, telling dirty jokes, and I'd just open my mouth and say one thing, and, Sasso, be quiet! And I was always getting in trouble for everything. Yeah, that's my last name. And so people, I remember going to God and saying, Lord, how come I can't get away with everything? They're anything, they pick on me. And, and the Lord said to me, because I'm expecting more of you. I'm holding you to a higher standard. He was training me. So I, I can't be like the rest of them and I can't just, well, they do this, but I only do that. No, I'm holding you to a high standard. So I would, I would get busted on everything. Uh, so it, I needed that because God deals with his people in a way to make us holy, to hold us accountable. He knows what we need. He deals with his people. By the way, this whole section here, especially verse 30, is quoting Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35 and 36. You might want to look it up and see its context as well. And, and, and again, it's not a warning to those who've never heard or not fully understood. It's for his people. You see that verse 30? God is speaking his, God judges his people. It's not saying those other people. Yeah, I think that's one of the big problems people have when they study the Bible and they have a convicting verse. That's for somebody else. That's for those people over there. That's not for me. But God speaks to his people. Even words of conviction and rebuke and get right, repent, you know, read Revelation, the first four chapters. Huh? That's the way God speaks to his people. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. That's God's heart. I'm going to start with you. And if it begins with us first, what will, become the, uh, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 
Now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as a faithful creator. So I had to learn this in the print trade. I had to learn this in the ministry. I have to learn this today. Is that I, you know, there's some knocks we have to take. There's some bumps, uh, hit, taking it on the chin. And it's like, Lord, is trying to make me holy, make me stronger, make me stand up against things and not, not be like the rest of the people and not return insult for insult. He's doing that work in you too, isn't he? Let the Lord do that work and complete that work in you. And we'll, we will complete the study as we continue. Verse 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Oh, when I read that verse, when I was under this lie of the devil, I just pictured falling into hell. But you know, this is talking about a living, loving God. But it's talking about rejecting that living, loving God. You know, you could, you could reject a false God. You could reject a dead God. You better not reject the living God, okay? Uh, one commentator, Newell, says this, and I love the way he puts it. To fall into the hands of a living God is therefore to have resisted his love, refused his salvation, despised the warnings of his spirit, and have persisted thus past the point where God can consistently show further grace. You don't want to be there, okay? But that's not you. As a matter of fact, that's what the, that's what the author goes on to say, that, but that's not you. Now, how can I say that to you? You're here. You're here today. But the devil's messed with you and you, you struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin. We've all sinned on purpose. But that's not you. And the, and the Lord wants you to catch this and get the right perspective here. Because the devil wants, you to, wants to say and wants you to think, that's you. It's not you. Okay? So, now, the words of encouragement now come. And I love this. It's not just the end, you're going to hell. The words of encouragement come for the rest of the chapter. Verse 32 says this. The author of Hebrews says, matter of fact, I've told you, who wrote the book of Hebrews? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says this. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle of sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both of reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. He goes, some of you were thrown into jail. Some of you were going visiting those in jail and bringing them meals and bringing them their needs. You remember what you went through? You remember how far you've come? For, look at verse 34. For you had compassion on me and my chains. So the author is saying, I was in prison and you took care of me when I was in. Remember that? Remember all that the Lord has done in you and through you? Remember how far you've come? Don't grow weary in well-doing. He says, you, you've had compassion on me and my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. I don't know about you, but you know, with this economy and all the talk of recession, sometimes my mind wanders and I go, what does the future hold? You know, how bad can it get? Can I lose my house? Can I lose my possessions? And you worry about those things and then you read a verse like this. And, and the Holy Spirit says, you remember what you did for Jesus? You had compassion on me and you joyfully, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. It's like, eh, take my house. It's okay. I got Jesus. Eh, take my possessions. I got the Lord. And I got heaven. God help me to have attitude adjustments as I read his word and realize this is the way I need to think rather than, oh, I hope I don't lose my house. 
Recession's coming. Oh, the prices are going up. I hope I can eat. Look at our, our brother, poor brethren in Ukraine right now, okay? There, there's people all around the world who say, we are so spoiled in America. God help us to get tough and to just say, Lord, if I got you, that's all I need. Lord, they could take away everything else, but if I got you, I'm happy because we are so comfortable. I confess, I admit it, okay? We, I like the comfortable spot that the Lord's put me in. But then I read this. I go, Lord, help me. Help me to have the right attitude and be ready for anything. Not ready, you know, how most Christians are. Yeah, get ready. I've got, I got all kinds of guns in my safe. I'm ready. That's not what it's talking about, getting ready. It's talking about being ready that, that when they come and take it all away from you, you still have the right priorities and you keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay? Now, verse 35. <clears throat> Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. What confidence? Well, you've got to believe in yourself. Isn't that what they're saying? That's not that kind of confidence. You need to have God confidence. The kind of confidence we all need is Christ. Confidence in Christ, not self. Your confidence in Christ has great reward. As a matter of fact, I've shared this verse with you many times. Uh, Romans 8.18 says, I consider that the sufferings of this present world aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us in that day. That means that all the trouble you go through now when you get to heaven... If I bring up the trouble you are going through now or, or maybe in the future, you go, forget about it. Look at what I got. I got heaven. I got Jesus. Keep the right perspective. Lord, help us. Help us to keep the right perspective. Now, I'll tell you what you really need. And we're going to end. I know you're, you're watching the clock. Here's what we really need. Look at verse 36. You have need of endurance. Huh? You have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now again, because I, I, I'm aware of the importance of the original Greek of the New Testament was written in, I looked up that word endurance, and it means enduring patience, patient continuance, waiting cheerfully, hopeful consistency. Oh, God, help me to be that. In the New Testament, the characteristics of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. We are spoiled. We're soft. Hard times are coming. Tribulation, problem. In this world, you will have tribulation. Didn't Jesus claim that promise, precious promise, right? But we need to be tough and be ready to face anything with this attitude. My confidence is in Christ. You could take everything away. If I have Jesus, I have enough. Now, I know I'm not finished. We're going to do our best here. Here we are. Verse 36 goes on to say, uh, you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, he who is coming will come and not tarry. Wait a minute. What are we waiting for? The great recession. No. Our great hope. Our blessed hope, the return of the Lord. That's what we're waiting for. And to the degree, I told you before, to the degree we get our eyes off of the coming of Jesus and get our eyes on the Lord, and to that degree we will fail spiritually. We will be spiritually unhealthy. But the more you're going, oh, I just can't wait. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, I want him to catch me doing something good. When the Lord comes back, uh, th that's a good way to test, by the way, if you're living right. Whatever you're doing that you wonder, should I be doing that? How would you feel if the Lord just showed up right there while you're doing that? If it would be embarrassing, don't do it, okay? But we're waiting for his return. And verse 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, 
my soul will have no pleasure in him. And that's exactly what, what that second <clears throat> theme of Hebrews is. Don't draw back. That's, that's, keep going. Keep your eyes on Jesus. As a matter of fact, here's the way the New Living puts that verse. My righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Isn't that the ongoing theme we keep reading in Hebrews? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep moving. Keep moving towards Jesus. Keep walking with Jesus. Now the final closing encouragement in verse 39 is this. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, which is destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. So the Holy Spirit is saying through the writer, but that's not us, guys. We're, we're the ones who are going to keep our eyes on Jesus and we're going to be saved, not the ones who draw back and are destroyed. That's the two choices. Do you see the, see the two choices in this verse? It's those who draw back to perdition or destruction and those who believe to be saved. Praise the Lord. I'm keeping my eyes on him. So listen, what can I say as we go through the scriptures together, especially Hebrews, it's been heavy stuff, okay? But what can I say but look to the Savior and live? Look to Jesus. You're safe in his arms. Anywhere else, I can't guarantee you. But you're safe in his arms. Father, we bow before you right now. We just admit our need for you. We thank you for your word, which is powerful, sometimes convicting, but always comforting. Lord, thank you for speaking clearly to your people today, to me and to your people. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here or maybe watching online or later listening on the radio who's not right with you, Lord, would you bring them to the place by your Holy Spirit, draw them in, bring them to repentance and faith. If it's you that I'm describing, just whisper a little prayer to the Lord. Just tell them that you recognize, tell Jesus you are the Lord. You are the Savior. Just tell Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Deliver me from my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me yours. He's listening. He's looking at your heart and listening to your words. Just whisper that prayer to him now. And if you've been, maybe you've been a Christian living in guilt or fear or under the lies of Satan, renounce that now. Just say, or just renounce the lies of the devil. Hold on to the truth of God's word. And know that you are safe in Jesus' arms. Nowhere else are you safe, but you're safe in Jesus' arms. My prayer is that this would draw you closer to him as we study his word. If you need further prayer, I... I hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.